Hi, you're listening to Driven E-Commerce at Work, the podcast where we bring in conversations with the e-commerce experts to talk about their processes and lessons learned in creating an impact on their online business. And I'm your host, Shiva Kumar, Head of Digital Strategy at DC Cap. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Driven E-Commerce at Work. Hope you all are staying safe and healthy during this tough time. And it's really been hard, uh, you know, to work from home. Earlier, I used to work like 8-10 hours in the office. But uh, I think uh, since we're working from home, sometimes it's hard for me to manage the timings and other things. So I'm still trying to figure out and uh, pull in some interesting guests. And while we're doing that, uh, I also had a chance to get onto a panel discussion for the e-session that we conducted recently. So I'm just going to bring that recording for today's episode. And um, so we're going to put the video version of this episode in DC Cap's YouTube channel. Go check them out if you want. And I'm going to put that in the podcast description as well. So let's get onto the episode. Cool. It was great to see uh, all those panelists and uh, good that we have a great attendee list. So I hope that uh, all the panelists are ready. And uh, so we've got uh, five people over here on the panel today, uh, starting from Ryan Van Hooser, Vice President of Operations at uh, Marysville Marine Distributors and uh, Ken Glenn, Marketing Director at Marysville Marine. And we've got Adrian Luna, channel leader at WebScale Networks, Devin Plopper, senior account executive at Shipper HQ, and my friend Gautam Ram, account manager at DC Cap. So uh, the first thing that we need for every e-commerce store is the hosting. So I'll just go ahead and start off the session with Adrian. To make it more clear, uh, for someone who's not familiar with uh, the hosting and why it's important, can you tell us about the role a hosting environment play for an online storefront, Adrian? Yes, I appreciate it. Um, man, I wish that was the first thing that we talked about <laughs> when it, when the, in terms of building these things out. Um, you know, it's a, it's a common question that we get, right, is asking us like how hosting or what hosting um, you know, plays a part in, in what we're doing and, and to see overall production and performance of the environment. Um, I, I think in, in general terms, right, you just want to think of hosting as the foundation for all of the beautiful work that someone like DC Cap performs in terms of development, design, uh, and just the, the creation of an overall brand experience. I mean, if you listen to the, the passion in Ryan's voice as he talks about the months and months of hard work that went into developing this uh, storefront. And then, you know, eventually that's all going to have to live somewhere for ongoing production. Um, you heard terms like uh, site page load speed times, performance, security, you know, it just everything revolves around the customer interacting with the brand. Um, and what we found over the years is, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times hosting decisions, you know, can be overlooked, right? Or sometimes made in haste with everything else that's going on. Um, and honestly, it's not a very sensational conversation to have, but it is a conversation that is absolutely mission critical to the ongoing success of the storefront, whether that is B2B or B2C. So, um, 
you know, for us, I think over the last several years, public cloud technologies like AWS, like Google, uh, Azure, you know, they've, they've been looked at more and more as like the most viable options for e-commerce storefronts and largely due to the fact that, you know, if built and managed correctly, these more modern environments are actually capable of handling the requirements uh, of these modern sites and, and stores. So, you know, as, as buying habits change, uh, as traffic to websites and online stores increases, you know, just the need to architect a proper environment in that public cloud, you know, it's, it's, it's just been more and more uh, apparent that it, you know, it's a conversation that needs to be had. Um, and part of that conversation is, is taking into account, you know, expected traffic, right? Having an understanding of the application that, you know, that the hosting environment is meant to support. Uh, the complexity of, of integrations, you talk, you know, you listen around and talk about the different integrations into the storefront and what's, what it's expected to do. Um, and then taking all of that and using experience and supporting the application to be able to apply that, you know, proper performance and security measures to make sure that it's, you know, that it's solid and ready to go. So I think to, to recap all of that, you know, these days, uh, hosting a storefront is, is no longer just about spinning up a server and keeping it online and making sure that you have somebody, you know, that's, that's just, just monitoring it to, for, uh, you know, to make sure it's online. Right. I mean, you, you got to put yourself in the shoes of the visitors to the site or the storefront. I mean, the online buyers are expecting your brand to have, you know, a fast, secure and seamless experience as they're navigating. So, you know, having a modern hyperscale hosting provider is going to ensure that the foundation can hold up and support not just the site, but really the, the overall brand. So I guess that's the best way to put it in a nutshell. Okay. So, uh, Devin, what exactly does uh, Shipper HQ do? Can you please give us some intro about what uh, Shipper, Shipper HQ is all about? For sure. Yeah. I'm As Ryan kind of mentioned, there's so many different things in the specifically even just the shipping ecosystem. So ShipperHQ, we're a shipping software, but we are just in the cart and checkout experience. So what we're doing is we're really curating and managing the methods and the rates that are shown in the cart to the customer based on a wide variety of parameters, like what Ryan had mentioned, different things like, you know, where are they ordering items from? What's the closest warehouse to them? Um, are they eligible for free promotions? Kind of if there's any complexity like that, that's where we fit in. So we're, we're helping people like Ryan, you know, really show customers exactly what you want them to see. Good. So can you talk a little bit more? I mean, where does Shipper HQ fit in the e-commerce ecosystem to drive conversions? Yeah, you know, there's so many different things that we do to really help drive conversions. I think Ryan hit on a couple of really key ones. Delivery dates is huge right now. I mean, people really want to see transparency in the cart and checkout. Um, I, I, I think, you know, choosing what carriers that you wish to display is something that is really coming in when people are reevaluating their shipping strategy too. You know, Ryan had said they were using UPS and once they realized they could show, you know, shipping delivery dates and, you know, it was much easier for them to say, this is a better option for us because they're going to help us fulfill, you know, what we want to do now. Um, I think it's, it's something that's really important to think about. And um, there's still a lot of e-commerce companies that, you know, just want to show ground shipping. But I think people are really a lot more educated about what services they like. You know, they have an affinity for FedEx versus UPS, or maybe they are fine getting, you know, something shipped USPS. 
and allowing people to choose what's going to work best for them helps people just be done and check out faster. Um, another thing really was setting expectations. Um, offering in-store pickup has been huge. ShipperHQ, especially post-pandemic, has helped a ton of e-commerce customers come online with store pickup because that was something that was kind of like a nice to have and now it's really a need to have. Cool. So Ryan, uh, it was a nice presentation and uh, how, how has migrating from Magento 1 to Magento 2 Cloud been so far? It's been pretty good, um, better than expected. Um, as I mentioned in my presentation, we've been through this type of transition previously. Uh, it is not a smooth thing or it, it can be uh, a pretty rocky transition. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts and uh, having capable partners is, and, and communicating well, as I mentioned in the presentation, is just so important for the project uh, to go smoothly. Uh, we uh, turned the sites on um, on a Saturday morning and, and didn't miss a beat. We started collecting orders right away and, and, and the volume uh, of, of traffic and orders was almost exactly what we were receiving the week prior. So um, it was a pretty seamless transition. Obviously, there have been hiccups, but from the customer standpoint, I think it's been really smooth. I don't think that there's been much interruption in service at all. On the back end side, there have been some of those things as what I've mentioned where we've had to kind of scramble and address issues that we've created for ourselves. But again, nothing catastrophic. Um, and that really goes back to, did you plan well? Did you communicate well? Did you define the scope uh, in detail so that you didn't run into a lot of surprises when you come to the launch time? So uh, Gautam, can you tell us about your experience in uh, migrating both the sites uh, from M1 to M2 Cloud? Was that easy or was that hard? Uh, definitely, sure. So uh, I think uh, every website migration is different on its own way. So uh, though as DZCAP, we have ample amount of experience in migrating websites from different platform or from M1, uh, Marys will have its own challenges. Uh, but I think uh, working with Ryan and Ken made things really simple for us. Um, as Ryan said, the communication was great from both ends. Uh, and Ryan clearly knew what was needed and made that made things uh, pretty comfortable for us in the first place. Uh, I think uh, we started off with a detailed business requirement document uh, that helped draft the blueprint for this project. And also, uh, you know, the team, they did a detailed study of uh, the document and they ensured that there was no surprises at the last moment and we knew what was needed and that uh, was part of the plan throughout the project. And also uh, for UI, UX, uh, Ken played a major role. He helped us with the layouts and few mockups that, you know, uh, helped our UI, UX team, uh, you know, uh, draft a plan uh, for the mockups and layout. So I think these expertise that uh, Mary's will team brought in, that was really great, uh, that uh, just took a lot of burden from uh, our shoulders. And uh, also uh, they trusted us a lot. And uh, whenever we came up with any solutions, uh, they trusted and they were ready to take up the solution and go ahead. And even when we had last moment uh, challenges and we had to customize things or make few changes, they uh, understood that. And uh, that helped us you know, come to a conclusion and make things smooth. So I think overall it was a great experience working with Marysville uh, and I hope that you know, we have a long-term relationship going with them uh, in the upcoming uh, years. So that's the first part. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the complex part? So how, uh, how complex was that? Or did, did you find anything uh, complex when it comes to the you know, customizations on this project? 
Yeah, sure. So I think uh, there were many uh, things that was uh, kind of complex, but uh, you know, due to the time constraint, I think I would pick one as uh, you know, uh, in terms of shipping or choosing uh, the warehouses. So th there had to be a complex logic where you know, um, uh, as uh, Ryan said, they have around five uh, warehouses. So uh, so right now, what happens is when a customer places order, we had to you know, uh, an algorithm had to run across and check. Uh, from where the particular, uh, from which is the closest warehouse, and we'll have to check if that particular warehouse has all of the orders in the, uh, all of the uh, stock in the first yeah. place. And if that did not work, uh, what had to be done is you'll have to, you know, uh, check for the next uh, warehouse, which has all of these uh, uh, stocks. So this had to be done. And uh, in case, you know, all warehouses do not have all of the items, then you'll have to take a warehouse, the closest warehouse, whichever product is available, the number of quantities speed up, and then move on to the next one, pick up whatever is over there and go to the third one and, you know, make up the final list. And also adding to that, in case a uh, product is not available at all, it had to be, you know, added in the uh, back order uh, list. So this is one complex pro thing that we had to work. And there are a few more things that were yet to work, which we are planning to do it post go live. So uh, I think even Shipper HQ played a role in this, helping us, you know, uh, pass on uh, the details to them to fetch the pricing for them. So I think this was one complex. So warehouse uh, management was one thing that we were able to handle for them, uh, sure. Mm -hmm. So Ken, from your experience, I mean, what's the takeaway in launching a website at a large corporation versus small to mid-sized corporation? Yeah. Um, so the main difference, uh, you know, when we launched this website for Marysville Marine versus some of my experience with the larger corporations is that a larger corporation kind of has too many cooks in the kitchen. Um, you're talking to a lot of executives and middle management and everyone is trying to put together what they think they need or what they would want for the website. And with Marysville Marine, you know, Ryan, as he's detailed, had a very clear vision of what he wanted and what he needed this website to do and how he needed it to perform. So, um, you know, that is one of the biggest differences is, is going in knowing exactly um, you know, what we want, what we need uh, for the website. So uh, like I said, my experience in the bigger corporations is just, you know, a lot of people internalize what they think they need. Um, for us, you know, Ryan uh, went through and said, okay, this is exactly what we need on the back end. Uh, this is what the business needs. And then we really came together and said, what do the customers need? So we really had a good focus on the customer. And that's not something I think uh, I've had a lot of experience in when, in terms of having a bigger corporation uh, developing a website, it's, it's more internalizing uh, what the business needs. We did a really good job of balancing both. And then, like I said, we did a really good job of saying, uh, you know, who really needs to be involved in this project from the Marysville Marine side. So, you know, we had just Ryan uh, heading the project, our IT department, and then myself for the UI, UX and design uh, aspects of it. But we didn't uh, bring everyone else in until Ryan said, you know, at the end when we were doing testing, when we started getting it out to our other departments and having them take a look at it. So it's really um, more streamlined on the smaller side. And, and I would recommend anyone should do it that way versus on the, the larger side where it was just kind of um, maybe too collaborative. Mm -hmm. So Gautam, how has, uh, you know, launching websites from home been? Is that good? easy for you for the first time? Yeah, I think it's uh, been different, uh, definitely, because, you know, uh, launching a website uh, back at office used to be really different. You know, we all uh, 
come on a bit early in the morning. We have the entire team uh, in the conference room. We book the conference room for the entire day. The snack comes in, the lunch comes in, sometimes even the dinner comes in if uh, the launch is not really great and if you have some uh, pending issues. So, uh, you know, we have everyone from the development, the SEO, the QA, the networking team, everyone over there looking at the large monitor, seeing how things are going on, is everything smooth and everything. So that's the way, you know, we have been launching websites so far. Uh, and, uh, you know, after we started working from home, this was one major thing that kept on, you know, running in back of our minds, like how are we going to launch websites? Because it needs all of uh, all expertise from all teams to be there at the same place to just make sure everything is smooth. So um, I think, yeah, that was a big challenge. But yeah, I think uh, we started, you know, getting adapted to, uh, you know, the Zoom calls and everything. We were on the bridge all the time, making sure everyone is available. If there's any issue, just let them know and immediately join. And sometimes even the client uh, jumps on the call if they see any issue and we were able to resolve it uh, as soon as possible. So uh, yeah, we do miss those times uh, where we used to you know, all uh, be together and launch a website and uh, celebrate the success. But yeah, this is a kind of a new way we were getting accustomed to and hope uh, things turn back how it was earlier. Good. So Ken, uh, what information did you use to redesign your site? Um, I mean, we used a whole lot of research uh, and we looked at, uh, you know, a lot of other websites within our industry. We looked at a lot of other websites that are specialty websites. You know, we specialize in, in boat parts and, and things like that. So we started looking at, you know, just, it didn't have to be boating, but we looked at like Guitar Center. Uh, they specify in a lot of, you know, guitars and, and things like that. So we wanted to see how they were presenting, you know, that information and those products to their customers. So we did a lot of research and started thinking outside of the box. And then we, um, we honestly did a lot of heat map testing on our current website. You know, um, you know, like I said before, from a, coming from a big organization, everyone can argue for why something might need to have a space on the website. Uh, but with no data, it doesn't matter. It's, you know, it's just a gut argument. So we wanted to go in with as much data as we could. So we took our old website and just ran some heat map testing, uh, click testing and things like that. And we really found out a lot of the things that we had on our homepage, our customers didn't really care about. Uh, they really wanted to go to the search and the menu bar needed to be clearer. So we took a lot of that data to inform our, you know, mockups and our wireframes and just kind of went from there. Cool. And can you tell us a little bit about, you know, approaching the design of your B2B side versus uh, the one for the B2C side? Yeah. So, you know, that was something that we had a lot of conversations about internally. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, a customer is a customer. Uh, they're going to behave the same way. They want the same things and they want to, uh, you know, have a very similar experience, a very prototypical experience across all devices or any website. It doesn't matter if they're buying something on Amazon or buying something special on our website or buying something on Guitar Center or anything like that. So we needed to figure out the feature set. What was the most important to those two customers, but keep the experience very similar. So on the Marysville Marine side, on the B2B, it was important for those customers to be able to buy in bulk, uh, have bigger carts, uh, and have a lot of admin uh, access and uh, tools to be able to edit their admin features, because they might have, you know, someone else from their department, you know, come in and buy something uh, from one time, and then they might need to edit that access. So 
it was basically feature set and very on the, um, you know, it varies, you know, for the B2C side, their marine parts source website, it just needed to be a clear cut e-commerce website, uh, very standard. And we just needed to make sure that the product was easy to find and easy to uh, purchase. So, uh, Devon, it's it's a modern era of e-commerce where uh, we all learn from Amazon, uh, the same day delivery. Honestly, I mean, if you really look at it, uh, the past two, three years, shipping has changed a lot. So it doesn't matter, you know, your small or large scale e-commerce brands. I think everyone is uh, focused towards creating a great customer journey. So what are uh, some of the, you know, shipping best practices that uh, we can implement right now to stay ahead of the competition? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, you know, a lot of the things that we would recommend is you know, what Marysville Marine was doing, really taking the time when you're reevaluating your shipping strategy to think about what carriers you're using. We're integrated with um, 40 plus carriers. So we connect directly to your carrier accounts to display negotiated rates. Um, and that's how we pull in information like estimated delivery days um, to be able to show, you know, what is available. And then I think you know, deciding whether date and time, being able to show the estimated time and transit or delivery date is something that's going to work for you. Um, like Ryan had mentioned, sometimes it's a little tricky to launch in the first place because there's a lot of other people involved in the whole process, like FedEx delivery drivers and your operations manager. You know, how are how is that going to affect everybody? So really considering that, um, you know, I would say a best practice we really recommend for people launching that is adding an extra, you know, lead day to make sure that you're setting the right expectations and if you exceed them, great. And you can remove that once you feel like you really have your processes down. I think, um, you know, having strategic free shipping with ShipperHQ, you can set free shipping promotions on specific products and it doesn't require any promo codes. It's just something that's set and it can also turn on and off. So things like that, that are just running behind the scenes that really eliminate extra steps in the checkout and showing people the transparency um, you know, Marysville Marine is using the, the local pickup. I feel like that's a huge differentiator in terms of the new kind of e-commerce space. And I think the last thing is really making sure that when you are designing your shipping strategy, you're not just thinking broadly. Maybe if you're only shipping domestic, you really want to hone in what options do I want to show the East Coast versus the West Coast. Um, you want to have different options for your international customers. There's a lot of ways where you can really kind of tighten that up and hone in and make it easier for people to see the options that are going to be the best for them. So coming back to Shipper HQ, uh, I mean, what is the process looks like to set up Shipper HQ and uh, how often do you need to monitor the backend logic? Yeah, so setting up Shipper HQ, I think, you know, like Marysville Marine had mentioned, um, over communicating is really important. Uh, with ShipperHQ, we work with really tiny customers all the way up to, to huge enterprise customers and everything in between. So we have a lot of different options available. Um, we have some people that will kind of DIY their setup if they have really simple requirements. Um, but I think one of the best services that we offer is we're a really small team. Um, we have some really dedicated uh, account executives like myself and a couple other people where we can actually schedule time to talk through your entire scope of work and build it out for you. So it's very similar to kind of the process uh, you guys were describing about over communicating what you need accomplished, building out a scope of work, talking about that, um, bringing in people that like the operations manager in when you're discussing it to make sure that everything's working end to end. 
Um, and once we have that scope of work built out, it's typically around a seven to nine day business day turnaround. So it's really quick once you know what you need to get done for us to implement it on the back end. We're often kind of the last step in getting people's e-commerce sites launched, but it's something people should be thinking about uh, much earlier in the process if they can. Good. So uh, Gautam, talking about shipping, I think, you know, up until a couple of years uh, ago, integration was just considered as an add-on or extension and not a must-to-have solution, right? So things are changing and uh, integrating all of the applications like e-commerce, ERP, or shipping has been becoming, you know, part of the core project right now. I mean, especially in 2019 and 20, I would say. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, Clores and what crucial role that Chloris played in integrating, integrating the Magento 2 with the Profit 21? Uh, definitely, Shiva. So, yeah, as Ryan pointed, you know, Chloris played a crucial uh, or even a critical role uh, right from the pre-sales part. So Chloris was the differentiator that helped us win this project. So that shows how important Chloris is in terms of uh, integration. And uh, when it comes to uh, what implementation we have done, Marysville uses almost 11 services of Chloris. So right from uh, customer creation, uh, product updates, uh, inventory updates, creating orders, uh, processing orders, uh, dynamic pricing, offline orders, uh, just to name a few are uh, things that we use Chloris for. So Chloris basically ensures you, know, you could uh, have unique and complex logics uh, written for the data that's being synchronized between P21 and Magento. So it just doesn't pull data and put it over there if you need you know, uh, it to be validated or uh, any any value to be added or to be uh, you know uh, filtered, everything can be done using closest modifiers modifiers over there. And also, uh, you know, you could also closely monitor if the data is syncing correctly or if there's any success or failure in terms of the sync. And in case there's any sync, you know, uh, sync failure, uh, you really need not wait for a closed developer to come and uh, let you know what that is. You can just open up the logs and see what the issue is. That will clearly highlight what's wrong with Chloris. And even if uh, there's a success, you could also see what data is successfully synchronized and what data is not coming. So that's something great about Chloris. And also, uh, again, as uh, you know, in the presentation, what was mentioned, you know, the mapping is really simple. So you really don't need to know any coding or anything for mapping. You can just, you know, drag uh, items from Magento, drag items from P21 and just map them. It's as simple as that is. So this ease of use uh, that Chloris has uh, really makes it a big differentiator that uh, helped us, you know, uh, no matter what complex uh, uh, logics or customizations we had to do in terms of Magento, that was easily handled in Chloris and it was those data were pushed into P21. So uh, yeah, that's, uh, I think, uh, really made a big difference uh, in this entire project, Shira. So, uh, Ryan, I'm sure this project was uh, one of the finest launches, uh, I mean, you've had in 2020, I'm pretty sure for us as well. I mean, especially during this pandemic situation. So how did you approach this uh, project during the vendor selection process? You know, adding some of the points from your presentation. I think you talked about communication, certification, integration, and uh, similar customer stories, right? But it's an era of, you know, hundreds and thousands of e-commerce experts and agencies. So where do you think, you know, distributors are making mistakes during the initial discovery process or what kind of things they can be, you know, aware of uh, during the initial stages? Well, you know, probably one of the biggest hurdles, if I would assume, is just where do you start? There's a lot of options out there, right? And so, we tried, I mean, for us, I think that, that we were able to narrow down pretty quickly because we had such a specific set of, of needs that we wanted to um, address. We looked at all the platforms 
to uh, figure out which e-commerce platform was the right fit for us. And it was a, a fairly easy decision to, to identify that Magento um, was going to fit best just because of the fact that we have multiple locations, multiple sites, and so forth. But it may not be as easy for somebody else who uh, maybe doesn't have that complexity. And, uh, you know, I did a lot of reading of, of articles and white papers and that sort of thing online just to, to educate myself about what's out there, um, what are the right fits for us. And, and then, like I said, once we had a pretty good grasp on the fact that we were going to use Magento, we went to Magento and said, tell us who would you recommend? Um, and the big uh, factor in helping to narrow down the developer partner was uh, we want to integrate with our ERP system, which is Profit 21. You know, it's a distributor program at its heart. So that narrowed the, the playing field quite a bit. And again, we wanted to try and minimize the number of developers involved in the project. If we could find one that could do the entire thing, both the front end and the integration part, uh, that was ideal. And there were very few out there that uh, we found that could accomplish that. So um, that's what led us to DC Cap was Magento's recommendation. And um, again, we looked at the Chloris piece and, and, and really found that that was attractive. So what, you know, what mistakes are people making? I mean, probably every mistake that you can think of, uh, but uh, you know, it, it just, I think you got to examine what are your needs? What are your customers needs? And that's going to be unique to each situation. And then you need to try and just match up the software and the developer um, with who, who you think can um, best make those needs happen. Good, thanks Ryan. So before uh, jumping onto one final question for Adrian, I'm gonna pick uh, the Q&A from Susie. Um, so I let uh, either Gautam or Adrian to take over this question if you want. So uh, the question is what are hosting options for customers who haven't migrated to Magento 2 yet? I mean, how are you keeping clients safe who are in, uh, ready to move off to move off from Magento One? Yeah, I can I can actually take that one if you're okay with it, Gotham. Um, that's that's been a, a huge topic, you know, over the past several months. Obviously, you know, Marysville had had planned accordingly ahead of time, but you know, we've seen a lot of storefronts run into this issue. Uh, some of it was just pandemic related, COVID related, right? It just you know, normal processes in their business were delayed. And some of that, you know, bled into development actually moving beyond that June 30 mark. So we're still talking to brands that are, you know, in the situation right now. So now that we are post end of life, obviously there's no longer any patches being developed or anything like that. So in, in terms of, of easy stuff, right, the ongoing security patches, um, you know, WebScale specifically is working with experts to continue to provide those patches um, and even at a faster rate than what were traditionally available before. Uh, PCI compliance support has been incredibly huge. Um, you know, being able to, to uh, manage the, the check boxes for, you know, making sure that you're doing your part and the hosting provider is doing their part for compensating controls has been, has been a really big topic of conversation for us. And then in, a, in addition to that, right, we're doing a lot of this through uh, deploying a programmable web application firewall through content security policy measures to, to you know, prevent against any type of cross-site scripting attacks, intrusion de detection capabilities, and then your typical blacklisting and whitelisting capabilities. 
um, all really in an effort to go above and beyond you know what just a, a patch provider may be offering just because you know nowadays i think it's it's even more important than ever than to, to have a secure storefront with considering the bad guys are getting better at better at what they do um and i think one of the biggest keys to to our success for m1 support has been not necessarily intending to keep somebody on it for a long period of time but just to provide that extra runway while they're working on a project like this knowing that as ryan said you can plan for a certain date, but very often and it's going to continue to go beyond that date. So you need to, to stay secure. And I think, you know, again, one of the things that, that put us out above and beyond um, in terms of M1 support is our ability to actually de deploy the support on-prem over the environment where it is now. You know, you've heard it a few times here that migration is, is not exactly a fun process and you don't want to have to do it twice. Um, so that's the other thing is, you know, we, we hadn't forced anybody to migrate over to another environment with their current store, knowing that you're going to have to do it again when you launch your M2 store. So um, it's been a big, big point of emphasis for us to be able to work with, you know, deploying these things across the front of an existing environment, what we call M1 on-prem support. So, um, yeah, been, it's, it's been a large success for us uh, this month it's, or this, this year, and that's actually why we had put the uh, the offer up initially before we jumped on on the panel, just because we are still seeing those brands that need that help. Good, thanks, Adrian. And uh, so, one of the things that we're seeing right now is uh, traffic. Um, it doesn't matter you're running an e-commerce store or uh, you know you're an agency. I think traffic is doing good, especially during the situation. So, one one thing that uh, we personally hear is, uh, uh, I think for one of the agencies, oh, they've got like a traffic double down, like. Uh, compared to the last year's uh, Black Friday or Thanksgiving sale. So, uh, Adrian, how do you expect uh, the upcoming holiday season, I mean, the Black Friday to be, is that going to be different during this COVID situation? 2020 is the year of the unexpected. So I, I think we can, we can expect the unexpected. Yes, it's going to be unique. Um, you know, it goes without saying, right? I don't want to make light of the situation and, and the current pandemic has had a huge effect on you know the way that people interact with retailers normal day-to-day -day buying process even b2b suppliers um, and it's been important for us with with webscale's ability to monitor traffic in real time and also make that available for our clients through the, our interactive client portal um, we've actually seen a lot of clients have holiday type black friday type events in may or june there's just a lot of customers already this summer that have flocked to websites as opposed to brick and mortar retail so you know interestingly also you know a lot of the big box retailers have already said that they're not going to open their doors and, and they're pushing all of their interactions with their brand with their customers online so this is this is only going to exponentially increase as the holiday shopping gets you know the season gets ramped up and I think this was a trend, I know this was a trend that we were already seeing, right? And, and the current situation has just acted as an accelerant to get more people interacting with digital brands or interacting with, uh, with more of a digital experience. Um, and unfortunately, like I had mentioned, you know, and then the first question that went my way was, you know, a lot of times it's an afterthought, right? Clients will come to us after a site fails due to a traffic spike um, or after they were targeted with some sort of sophisticated security attack. And of course, We'll handle those cases as we come, but I'm sure, you know, everyone on the panel agrees that, that we're here to communicate the importance of taking those precautions before any sort of increased traffic spike becomes a problem. So, 
you know, for us and specifically, that means load testing, that means security audits to make sure that the production environment can actually handle the traffic spikes as well as any security attacks uh, beforehand, right? So it's, it's, it's simulating traffic, you know, putting it over to the site and saying, hey, you can, you know, your threshold is about this much and looking at the way your site has performed and the traffic to the site over the past, you know, 12 months or so, or even measured up against last year, uh, holiday season, you know, you can expect about this much traffic and, you know, here's the threshold of what you can handle before you start seeing degradation in performance. So, you know, it's, it's, us, it's, it's, it's like I talked about in the very beginning, it's, it's gotta be more than just spinning up a server. It's about working with you and planning for your brand experience, planning for what you're expecting, um, you know, for the holiday season. I know a lot of people for in e-commerce and specifically this holiday or any holiday season really can make or break your year. So investing time in advance to plan accordingly is absolutely worth the while. I think the last thing you want to do is spend, you know, a bunch of marketing budget and, and pushing a campaign out and having that came campaign be a success or having some unexpected viral event, um, you know, turn into the, a, a huge success in driving traffic to your storefront. And when you need it to be online most, when you need it to be uh, performing, you know, at a high level most, you know, if it fails, I think that's just a, a tremendous loss in, in immediate opportunity and also a hit to the brand. So, um, again, I, I can't say it enough, right? Just planning, 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 and, and continue planning. Good. Perfect, uh, Adrian. Thanks, everyone, panelists. Good talking to you, and I had a great fun. Thanks. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for watching and listening to this episode of Driven E-Commerce at Work podcast. This show is brought to you by DCCAP, the company well known for its e-commerce product suits for B2B distributors. To learn more, visit dccap.com. That's www.dckap.com. Make sure you subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening. Catch you guys very soon with another interesting episode. Until next time, see you.